take your Bibles and turn over to Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, Ephesians 1, verse 15. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which which exists among you, and your love for all the saints... Do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we see here a prayer. A prayer from the Apostle Paul. Lord, we pray that you will help us to understand this prayer. And then to pray like this prayer. And then, Lord, will you work your power as we pray and seek you. Lord, help us now as we look at your word to understand it and apply it appropriately. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. The title of the message is... Prayer in Christ. Prayer in Christ. The section actually goes from 115 down through 123, the paragraph at least. The whole section covers all the way into chapter 3, and we'll talk about this as we go along. Last week, we praised the Lord for who He is and what He has done for us in Christ Jesus, all those who have believed in Him. We praise the Lord. This week, we're going to learn how we should pray to the Lord. How we should pray to the Lord. Last week, we praised. This week, we're going to pray. And next week, we're going to learn about the power of the Lord. And it will be developed as we go along. Biblical prayer looks so much different than what I thought prayer was my first three to five years of walking with Jesus. How about you? Prayer was more of a divine wish list when I first became a believer, rather than deep fellowship with God, my Father. Biblical prayer includes confession of sin, asking for God's healing help in difficult times, and asking for help through times of crisis, endurance. It's, biblical prayer is seeking God in your circumstances. Yes. It's petitions like that. But as we will see, biblical prayer is much more than that. And it's very interesting to me that when you look at the Apostle Paul's prayers, they look nothing like what you hear at prayer service. <laughs> Do they? They are deep, and they are profound, and they are filled with truth. And if we're all real honest, when I read that prayer, you weren't thinking, yep, that one sounds just like my prayer last night. His prayers are profound, deep. Today, we dive into one of the finest biblical prayers ever recorded. We are going to... Marvel at the glory of God and what the man of God under the influence of the Holy Spirit prays. How he prays and therefore how we should pray. In this we see four features of prayer in the realm of Christ's sovereign rulership. We saw last week that Christ is Lord. He is King. That he died, he rose from the dead and he's seated on high and all things are being summed up in him. And everything's being put under Him. So in light of everything being in Him, that is His body, this is how His people should pray in Him. This is how we should pray in Christ's realm of sovereign rulership. 
We will see the foundation of prayer in Christ, the attitude of prayer in Christ, the substance, the overall substance of prayer in Christ, and the specifics of prayer in Christ in our passage. Let's walk right down through the passage. You're going to see these four features of prayer in the realm of Christ. First, notice the foundation of prayer in Christ. Verse 15, notice it states, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints. Okay, so immediately... What is the foundation of prayer in Christ? Well, it starts with that little phrase, for this reason. For what reason? What reason does he pray? Why does the Apostle Paul pray for these believers? Why? Well, short answer, you ready? God is worthy of praise for who he is and what he has done for us in Christ. Does that look familiar? That was last week's message. That was last week's passage. That was the summary of verses 3 to 14. Why does Paul pray? Because God is worthy of praise for who he is and what he has done for us in Christ. In light of all that God is and what God has revealed and how God has blessed us, we should what? Pray. And that's why he prays. Paul prays in light of who God is and what God has done. So worship, praise, produces what? Prayer. What? Worship, a right understanding of God and worship of God, causes us to do what? Bow our knee and seek him. Makes sense, doesn't it? You can't pray, by the way, if you don't know who you're talking to. (laughs) But if you know who God is and what he's revealed about himself in Christ, it will drive us, it will motivate us to what? Pray. For this reason, he prayed. And for the same reason, we pray. The more we know him, the more we what? Pray. Did you get that? Very interesting. So, worship of God for his blessings given to us in Christ is the ground or the foundation for our prayers. Because God is worthy of praise for choosing us in Christ, we pray. Because God is worthy of praise for adopting us. We're his children, so we pray. This makes sense, doesn't it? Think about this for a second. Think about this. Little Samuel, when we adopted him, we brought him home. He's looking, uh uh-oh, he's talking about me. When we brought him home, the natural tendency was not to run to mommy and daddy initially. It wasn't, he couldn't figure it out. But the more that he understood that we were his mommy and daddy, guess what he did? He came to us. He knew we had the keys to the refrigerator. So what did he do? He comes to us until he started just stealing it, right? (laughs) Because he was hungry. What is the point? When we know that God is our Father, He has adopted us, and that He's worthy of praise, then petition to have our Father is what we do. We seek Him. He's our Abba, Father, and we love Him and we seek Him. When we know that he has redeemed us and forgiven us and that he loves us, then we do what? We go to him in prayer. When we know that we have an inheritance and that our glory to come with him is great, we go to him with prayer, don't we? This all makes sense, doesn't it? Because God is worthy of praise and the Holy Spirit works within us, we pray. Why? Well, because ultimately the Spirit of God works in us to do what? Pray. Romans 8 says that the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that too deep for words that we don't even understand how to pray, but yet the Spirit is praying and petitioning God the Father for us. 
So we cooperate, we fellowship. It was said this morning in Sunday school that prayer is ultimately about fellowship, partnership with God in His work, knowing Him. The foundation of our prayer to God is God is worthy of praise for who He is and what He has done. Notice also the foundation is who are the ones who are praying. Who are the prayers for, by the way? Who are the prayers for? Notice Paul says, having, excuse me, that was my fault. It was not the thing's fault. This time I had it right, and of course I pushed the wrong button. One day I'm going to learn this thing. There it is. Who are the prayers for? Look in your verse, verse 15. Having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints. Who did Paul pray for? He prayed for the believers. Why did he pray for the believers? Because they were fellow adopted, redeemed heirs in Christ. It's who we pray for. We pray for those that love Christ too. Those are the ones we seek God for. Now, does that mean that we don't pray for the unbeliever? No. We pray that God will save them too. But I would argue one of our our tendencies is, as believers, to kind of get somebody saved and then stop praying for them as much. It should be the opposite. And it appears from Scripture that it's the opposite by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul doubles down and prays more for the believer. And prays for him to go out and boldly speak the truth. And has them pray for him to speak the truth. His prayers are littered throughout the epistles. Explaining that he prays for the believers. Those who have trusted in the God who is and was and will always be. And the one who has worked in them. Friends, our motivation for prayer has already been established. We pray because God is worthy of prayer and because we need to pray for each other because the Bible tells us we need prayer. And He prays for believers. So the foundation is established. Second, the attitude of prayer. Notice in verse 16 it states, Do not cease giving thanks for you. That is, Paul I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. So what do we see here? This is the attitude of prayer in Christ. This is the heart behind a praying person. Somebody who knows who God is, knows who he wants to pray for, and hears his heart behind it. It's an attitude of continual gratitude. Notice it states it. It says... Do not cease giving thanks for you. Now, it's very important that we notate something here. Thanksgiving, sadly, is not the first thing we think of when we think of praying for other people, is it? Often when we think of praying for other people, other believers, we're often thinking, well, this problem, this person has this problem, and this person has that problem, and this person has this issue in their life. And we don't start with gratitude, do we? We often start with, give me, help me, fix this, right? Isn't that us? But Paul starts and mentions his whole attitude comes with one that's already with thanksgiving. He's thankful. Why is he thankful? Why would he be thankful? Why is he thankful for them? Give me a hint. It's found in 1, 3 to 14 (laughs) for the same reason. Because what God did for them in Christ, He chose them before the foundation of the world. He adopted them through Jesus. He redeemed them. He forgave them. Right? He's given them an inheritance. He sealed them with the Holy Spirit. So who gets thanks and praise for these people and what they have? God does. His focus is on God and his attitude is gratitude and thankfulness. Again, it would do us all a world of good if we would start all of our prayers with first praising God for what he has already done and then going to thankfulness and gratitude because of all that he has done and then 
go to supplication. Would that not be true? All too often we jump way too fast to give me. And we're not quick to say thank you. There's lots to be thankful for, isn't there? We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So what should we do? Thank God for our brothers and sisters and what he has done in us and in our own lives too, right? This applies to our own personal prayer time, doesn't it? Uh, be honest. I know my first three to five years, my mine was that wish list. Will you do this? Will you do this? Will you do this? Not near as much gratitude and praise and thanksgiving as what I was needing and wanting. Now, I'm not saying, beloved, that we don't explain what we need and give our supplications. But it appears from Paul's prayers that his attitude is one that he's thankful, first and foremost in his heart. Correct? All too often our hearts are, give me, and we expect more and better instead of, thank you, Lord, for even saving me. Different mindset. Different mindset. Especially in our culture, right? In our culture that thinks that we are owed everything, it's hard to get a thank you out of our mouths, right? Oh, beloved, Paul doesn't cease to give thanks for them. (laughs) He wasn't even stopping in his gratitude. It was a hard attitude. Notice also it's an attitude of continual dependence, a continual dependence while making mention of you in my prayers. Making mention here is this idea that he's continually praying for them. He's continually petitioning for them, on behalf of them, seeking God for them. Not not giving up thankfulness, both simultaneously praying with thankfulness and also petitioning God continually. So the natural question, the easy question, the Obvious question for all of us in application, is this what our prayers look like? Are we thankful? Are we continually praying and depending upon the Lord? I think the more we know Him, the more we will do it this way. The more we understand how big He is and all that He's done for us, the more we will have hearts of gratitude for one another and for Him. So, we've seen the foundation And we've seen the attitude of prayer. Now we need to see the substance of prayer in Christ. It's found in verse 17. The substance of prayer in Christ. Now again, when I say the substance, it's actually the primary substance. The main thing. The overarching thing that he prays for. Now, before we get into this, before you get to that. Notice the beginning of verse 17. That. Before you get to that, I want to ask a question. What is the substance of your prayers? What is it that you're asking for? What do you ask for? Think about this for a second. What do you ask for for yourself? What do you want for yourself? I'll tell you what mine were. For much of my life it was, fix this, do this, help here, take this away, right? Help me obey here. Help me stop doing this. Right? Was it? Is that not all of us? Boom, we got the checklist. I've got all these things I've asked for. How many of you have done your prayer journals and you've listed them out and you go back and say, well, how many of them were answered? Well, only about two of them were answered. What happened to those other four or five? They're still sitting down here. He didn't do those. I'll say them again. And I'll pray them again. Yes? Is that our prayer? Okay, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna say something that's maybe a little bit challenging. Maybe it's because the substance of our prayer is wrong focused. What? Oh no, you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to pick on my prayer list, Mike. That's not fair. You're not allowed to pick up my prayer list. I just have one question. Paul has prayed 
and recorded many of his prayers in all the epistles. How come his prayer list and his prayers don't look anything like our prayer list? Why is that? What's the reason? Come back next week and I'll tell you. Oh, beloved, I think it's because God doesn't want us to seek solutions for our problems. He wants us to seek Him. What? What? He doesn't want to fix your life. What? He wants you to know Him. Oh, well, that's not going to help me, Mike. I came here this morning so that I could get fixes for all my problems. Well, if that's why you're here, beloved, I'm sorry to disappoint. But I will tell you this. The great news is is that when you pray for the true and right substance, the right one, the right thing, then your problems will become very, 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 very small. And he will become very, very, very big. And he loves to answer this prayer. Did y'all hear me? I hope you got this. This is so important. So what is the substance of the prayer? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. And everybody that's in biblical counseling in first hour says, Oh no, it's the same thing. Pastor Mike keeps preaching the same thing over and over and over again. Answer, the Bible keeps saying the same thing over and over and over again. What is the principle or main substance of the believer's prayer for others? What is it? Answer, it's a God-focused prayer first. Right? It's a God-focused prayer. And you'll see that's developed. It's a God-focused prayer, and then it's a, a prayer to know God. This is very interesting. It's a prayer that's God-focused. Notice it says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you. Now, where does that come from? Well, he's already used that same terminology, hasn't he? Where did he use it? 1-3, look at it. 1-3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. The praise goes to God, the triune God that we talked about last time. And guess where the prayer goes? To the same God. The triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The praise goes to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one true God, and prayer goes to Him. It's God-focused. So the substance of our prayers must be God-focused. Now you say, I would never, I would always, rather, I would always be God-focused in my prayers. My prayers are always God-focused. Are your prayers always God-focused? Well, let's just do a little check. If it's a checklist of do's and don'ts and wants and wishes, then it could be that your prayer is more focused on who? You. Y'all remember the illustration Jesus gave of the, of the tax collector that comes to, to God and the, and the Pharisee that comes to God, the two men come to God. Remember? They both came. One of them, the tax collector stood way off in the far, right? But the Pharisee came and said what? Oh God, I'm thankful I'm not like any of that, that man over there. What is that? That is a man-focused prayer. He literally, he literally prays to himself, for lack of a better term. He prays to a God that he's made up to exalt himself. If we have a prayer list that all it does is wishes and wants and do's and don'ts, we could very well be doing what? Focused on me 
than the God that I've made in my mind. Did you hear this? This is significant. Is your prayer God-centered? How do you know if it's God-focused? It's about God's glory, not yours. Whoa. Now, if it's God-focused, and it's about God's glory, remember, to the praise of His glory, to the praise of His glory and grace. If our prayers are God-focused, then it's not about fix my problems. It's about glorify yourself, God. Show yourself off. Which means that you stop praying to get out of circumstances and you actually pray, Lord, be glorified in whatever I'm in. Wow. God-focused prayers are totally different than man-focused prayers, aren't they? May God be glorified in my prayers. May God be glorified in my life. Even if it means suffering. That's why Paul can pray this way. He was God-focused in his prayers. The Father of glory. That's what matters. Show off your glory. And so what does he pray for them? What does he pray for them? He prays to God, the God of glory, and he prays for them. The main substance is that they would know who? Him. That they would know God. That's what it's about. Oh, wow. I pray that you will know Him. That the, notice, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation of the knowledge of Him. Now what in the world is this? A spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. I admit to you that this is a difficult little passage. It's got a little bit of a difficulty in there. There's two possibilities. Paul prays, God will give them the Spirit, Holy Spirit, of wisdom and revelation of Him. Or, it means, Paul prays God will give them a Spirit, heart, of wisdom and revelation of Him. Which one is it? I think it's the first. I'm not going to die on the hill. But I think it's the first. I think it's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. I lean towards the first. But I want you to understand something. And the reason why I do, I'll give you one main reason, is because uh, our heart doesn't reveal, our heart does not reveal God to. Do you understand? Our spirit, our heart doesn't reveal God to ourselves. I think it has to be outward. Spirit gives revelation. The Holy Spirit gives revelation. Do you understand? You could argue back and forth, but ultimately, I think you still get the main point anyway, even if you don't know. Okay? And what's the main point? It's to know Him. That's the main point, right? What's the main substance of His prayer? Here we see the Father works through the Son so that He can now work in the Spirit, in the believers, to know God. Another way of wording this prayer would be, Father, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation of the true knowledge of God. That you will know God. That you will understand Him. That you will get Him fully. Here we see the main primary prayer request. And this should be, and by the way, this is now my prayer request. I want you to mark this down. Please, please mark this one down. For Pastor Mike, I want you to pray that I know God. Please. That's what I want you to pray. And that's what I'm going to be praying for you. I want you to know God. I want you to know Him. Wait a second. Jeremy, I thought they already knew who God was. I mean, they believed. It says it. You started verse 15, right? 
For this reason, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you. I thought they already believed. I thought they already knew Him. Well, why would He pray for them to know Him if they already know Him? Hmm. Did they know Him? Yes. No. They knew him, but they were only getting to know him. Just a little bit of knowledge. Just a little bit of understanding of him. Eleven. Do you remember I looked like a crazy man last week? It was because I was I dove into the deep end of God and I saw just his glory. And it was so deep that at times I felt like my mind and my body and my whole emotions were blowing up with glory and wow over who God is. Do you understand? I was so in awe of God. By the time I got up here, you didn't have a chance. Because I was so enamored by the glory of God. And I can say to you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the depth of His glory has only grown this week. I know Him even more. And I'm understanding Him just a little bit more all the time. I've been struggling with how do you reconcile Old Testament passages that don't have much about Jesus and can we know God there? The answer is yes, you can know God there too. He reveals himself in all of his word, doesn't he? The scripture reveal himself, all of it. But I have to admit that as you go further and further along in the Bible and as you're reading, the glory of God just becomes more and more. Wow! I mean, how do I know this? Well, because in this letter of Ephesians, you know what he says? The mystery, the mystery has been revealed to us at this time. What does that mean? That there's somewhat of a mystery that was hidden from ages past that now it's revealed. What does that mean? That God in Christ was reconciled both Jews and Gentiles. Right? There's this great glory of God in His work that's being... It's like a... a For lack of a better term, it's like a fireworks display. A good fireworks display doesn't give all the good stuff up front, right? Let's face it. When you get to the grand finale, you're all going, if it's a really good one, you're like, wow, whoa, you can't even talk anymore. Because it's like, before it was like, wow, that was a big one. Wow, there's another big one. And then at the end, when the grand finale happens, you go, you can't. If it's a really good one, you're like, wow. That's what happens in Scripture. And by the way, that's what we're praying for you to have. We're praying that your knowledge of God will continue to grow. That you will know Him more and more and more and more. For as you know Him more, you will then praise Him more. You will pray more. And you will obey Him by faith. You got it? That's what this is saying. We are never finished learning about God. You want to hear some really wild thoughts? You will still learn about God's glory in glory. Do you understand that we are going to awe God for eternity? That His glory is just going to get better and better and more and more. It's going to be like, wow! But if your prayers are, will you do this for me? Will you fix this problem? You are basically saying, I want less than the best. What? What is it that we need most? 
What's our primary need? To know God more. That's our need. Why is knowing God so important? Why is a growing knowledge of God so important? Answer, because he's the object of our faith. What? Hear me. The more you know God, the more you will do what? Believe in him. You will trust him. You will depend upon him. You will rely on Him. You will abide in Him. He becomes bigger and you become more satisfied. You rejoice in Him more. And it's better and better and better the more you know Him. And then we obey Him. Here's the wild thing. Often our prayers are this. God, help me kill this sin. Help me obey you. Help me not do that. Help me to treat my wife nicely all the time. Help me to be a better parent. Right? Isn't that us? Help me be a better Christian. Help me minister to these people better. Isn't this us? But our problem is, is we shouldn't be praying that. We should be praying what? Help me know you more. For if I know you more, all of that's taken care of. All of that's taken care of. The man in this room, hear me. The man in this room who knows and enjoys God the best is also the best husband in the room. He's also the best evangelist. He's the best servant. What? The single person that knows God the best is the most, the best, the finest single person in the room. The one that glorifies God the most. Right? How do I know this? Because this is what the Bible says, that our faith in Him is what produces obedience. It's what produces glorifying God. So what does Paul do? He cuts to the chase and goes right to the heart and says, this is what you need to know Him more. You got it? When we understand Him better, we depend on Him more, and our faith produces obedience. So the primary substance of the believer, of the believer's prayer is for others to know God more, for them to know God more. Next, we see some specifics of this. Now, what happens is, is this is a crescendo, and it helps to develop the substance. So what happens next is, is we get the specifics it's a good thing I didn't make all four points S's because we'd be really in a jam. The substance, now it, he gives us the specifics. The substance is still founded on the substance because it's really just the development of the substance. Do you understand? It's not that it's, it's just going into more details about him and his work. Let me tell you, and I'm praying that you will know more about him and his work. It's basically. And he gives specifics of what him and his work is all about. Do you understand? But it's still just a development of the substance. So look at four. The specifics of prayer in Christ. In verses 18 and 19. Now, just for the record, I, you could make an argument that the prayer never ends. It doesn't end until the end of chapter 3. You can actually make an argument that this prayer of Paul never ends. It goes all the way from 115, well, starts in 1-3 because he starts praising. He praises, then he prays, and then you'll see it's all the way to the end of 3. 
It's interesting. But look at it. 118. I pray. That's added for in italics in the New American Standard just for clarity. That the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. The eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That you may see. See spiritual truths. That you'll understand. So that you will know what is the hope of His calling. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. And what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe. Wow, what a mouthful. Again, the specifics are just a development of the primary substance of a biblical prayer. The desire for God to reveal Himself to His own. Notice the His calling. His inheritance. His power. It's to know Him and His work is to know Him. Do you understand? For the glory of His name. So here we go. The specifics of the prayer starts with God revealing the truth to believers. It says that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, illumined, understand that you'll get it, is a way you could put it. He prays that they'll get it, that they'll understand. By the way, who gives it? Who gives them the understanding? Previous verse, the Spirit. The Spirit gives the understanding. Now, listen, listen closely. Does the Spirit give revelation outside of Scripture? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that you're going to see this is, and I don't want to give the punch line away. It's coming at the end. But the amazing thing is, <laughs> I'm going to give it away anyway, because you won't get it unless I don't. Unless I don't. Okay, here you go. You ready? Listen. He prays that the Spirit will give them revelation and then the Spirit gives revelation. What? Yeah, in what he writes. So as he's writing, he's actually, God is actually answering the prayer he's praying. Does that blow your mind? Did you hear that? The Holy Spirit's working through the Apostle Paul to actually answer the prayer of who God is and what He's done. As Paul writes the prayer. So the revelation comes from the Spirit as the Spirit illumines the Word of God so that we can understand who God is. Glorious! How many of you prayed and had your prayer answered as you were praying it? It's a cool thought. That's a cool thought, right? That's exactly what's happening here. The believer, he prays that they will understand what they already understand, though. Again, understand what they already understand? Understand what they already understand? The believer knows, but is growing in knowledge. The believer understands, but is growing in understanding. The believer has a heart that understands truth because they couldn't have believed unless God already gave them the heart, right? They have to already be redeemed. They already have to have a new heart. They must already be sealed with the Holy Spirit, which is what he said in the passages before. So they already have what? A heart that understands, but he prays for their heart to understand. What? You already have a heart that understands, but I'm praying that you have a heart that understands. How does that work? That's exactly what the Christian life is. You understand. But you're getting more understanding. And God is continually showing you more and more and more of Himself. And so we pray for God to reveal Himself to us and give us a heart of understanding. So Paul prays for them to have understanding. Then Paul gives some specifics. Notice the specifics. What is the hope of God's calling? What is the hope of God's calling? What are the riches of the glory of God's inheritance? Right? What is the surpassing greatness of God's power? The glory of His inheritance. The greatness of His power towards us. Where is all that? I'll give you a hint. It's already been mentioned in 3 through 14. He's already talked about it. And guess what? The last point, 
He's going to talk about it for the rest of 1, 2, and 3. The power of God towards us in Christ. The whole book is one giant connected thought. It's just mind-numbing. I can't write with four sentences ahead of me in my mind. I mean, you can have a basic idea, but this guy interweaves everything in an amazing way. This is God. This is what happened in the week when I was going over this. I was thinking, only God could write this book. There's no way that anybody else could write this. This is like the the masterpiece of all masterpieces. He's connected the whole thing together from chapters 1 through 6, and it all is about the glory of God. And it says the same thing. So what is the hope of his calling? It's a confident expectation we have, a confident expectation that we have because of God's call, his effectual call to salvation through faith in Christ. We have this confident hope, this confident expectation because God has worked in our hearts. And we're his, we're his adopted children. We know that he has worked in us and we know he is our father and we are his adopted, chosen children. And that happened when he effectually called us through the gospel. And so Paul says that I, I pray that you will know God who has called you and that you will have this confident, you'll understand this confident expectation that's come comes by knowing you are the called of God. That you're His divine children. His predetermined children. That we will know and embrace and have confidence in God's divine choice of us. Hope of His calling says, I'm God's own adopted child because of His divine grace. Uh, Beloved, how important is this? Oh, this is so important because my identity and my understanding that I am his adopted child is the motivation for all good things that I do. As I know that I'm his adopted child and that I'm called and I'm his, then it motivates me to by faith trust him and obey him. That's why by the time you get to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, he says what? Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So he prays that they will know the hope of the calling. Then he explains what the hope of the calling is. And then he says, now walk worthy of that calling. But here's our problem. What do we do? We say, you need to obey more. You need to be a better child. But there's no hope of the calling that they know. I'm not going to be able to get through all this. What is the hardest thing for a parent to do? Answer, get a child to obey. Just being honest. It is hard. Obey from the heart. Do you understand what I mean by obey from the heart? I can get a child to look good on the outside really good. The spanking tool does a real good job on that. It does an excellent job. Clean on the outside beautifully. So I read this verse to my kids and I said, Children, obey your parents. Children, obey your parents. That's what it says in Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents. But what's the problem? It's in the Lord. In the Lord means you must understand what? The hope of His calling. You must understand what? Very The glory of His inheritance. You must understand what? The greatness of his power towards us. Oh, here you go. I'm going to blow your mind. How do children obey the parents in the Lord? Answer, the Lord empowers them to obey. 
What? That's in the Lord. In the reign of Christ. Obedience doesn't come naturally to any human being. Obedience comes by the grace of God working through the power of God, through the gospel, and through faith in Him. So we must know the hope of His calling, the glory of His inheritance, and the greatness of His power towards us. You get it? We're just getting started. We'll, we'll pick back up next week. You know, the wild thing is, is that obedience to the Lord is actually a joyful thing, isn't it? Is obeying the Lord drudgery? No. It's actually joyful. It's joyful if you know Him. If you know the hope of your calling. His calling in your life. If you know the glory of the inheritance to come. If you understand the power of God's going to work through you in Christ to accomplish it. That's how it becomes joyful. So what do we do? We pray that people know God. If you're here today and you don't know God as your Savior, then you need that calling, <laughs> that effectual calling. What that means is, is that God needs to work in your heart and show you that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. The good news is, is that God sent His Son into the world to die for sinners like us. And if you will repent and believe in Him... You will turn from your sin and trust in what Christ has done. That He is the Lord, the God, the incarnate man God, God man, who came into the world and paid for sin and rose from the dead and is seated in heaven. If you will trust in Him, then you will be the called too. And you will have a hope of His calling. And you will have a Confident expectation of the glory to come. You will know that glory to come of being His heir. And you will have the power of God working in you. As the Spirit of God abides in you. And will work through you to obey and serve Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Help us, Lord, now as we go to know You more. Lord, help us to be good expository listeners to take the truths that are found in these scriptures and apply them to our lives. Help our prayers to look like those that exalt you and are focused on you, not ourselves. Help us, Lord, to know you more. Help us to understand you and your work in us and for us and through us to your glory. May Christ be exalted in all of us. And Lord, may we obey you by grace, through faith in Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.